What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. another episode of the king's pulse podcast my name is brendan nunez got rich ivanowski on here as we always do how you doing rich i'm doing great i am really excited about this third win of the season for the kings over the atlanta hawks very 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 excited to see my guy harry giles back on the court can we start there how did you feel well him coming out and getting that block was great to see that was that was a pure Harry Giles play, some crazy energy, and nice to see some rim protection. But uh, it, it was great to see him back out there, like you were saying. And it was it was short. It was, what, like six minutes of gameplay from him. But it was a little bit of just kind of what you expected from him. Yeah, I think he got eight minutes in total. And I think that it was nice to see him in the first half and the second half. He played some pretty important minutes. He came on late in the sec or excuse me, late in the third quarter when the game was like kind of on the line. Like it, it was during a big run by the Hawks when they were pushing. Uh brought the game I think they they brought it within one at one point. So, you know, those were important minutes and Giles was in and he looked really good. He was like you said, he was affecting the game defensively quite a bit. Didn't seem to have the green light. On offense, um, he had a couple open looks from three. We've talked about before how it seems pretty clear that Giles is not given the green light, at least from three. Uh, although we think we've got it, he think, we think that he's got it in his arsenal somewhere. You're really eventually. itching for one of those. I really, I really was. <laughs> I really was. Yeah. And I guess talking about what kind of goes with that is Deadman in his return to Atlanta got 11 minutes and like I know Deadman has been struggling but there was a game where he saw eight minutes this game he sees 11 I kind of feel like he needs to get an opportunity to play through this a little bit more yeah I think that's a really good point I I think that I am falling out of love a little bit with Holmes as a starter I I love what he does off the bench. I love the energy. I think that he's – it makes sense to be starting him now because Dedman is struggling so much and because Bagley is out hurt. But I don't know. I just see him in the long term as being more uh, – being better utilized as an off-the-bench guy. And I, and I think that's what we'll see anyway, at least once, uh, once Bagley is back. Right. I definitely agree with you that I've slowed down on the Holmes hype a little bit after a really hot start for him. Like I, I do think I like Deadman's defense better than Holmes. Um, 
even though they've been somewhat similar this year. Um, yeah, once once Bagley comes back, I think personally the Deadman will end up back in that starting lineup. You know, you want a guy rolling hard and one stretching, like we've said. So I think that'll come back around. But um, you know, the third and quarter, and that's ahead. not to say that. Sorry, I just want to jump in before we move off of homes. That's not to say that he's playing poorly or anything. So I think that he is doing a good job, uh, especially rebounding. I think that he's focused on that. And maybe that's just because he's playing next to the elites a lot, but he's definitely the best rebounder on this team for big stretches, if not entire games still. Right. And only one foul in 30 minutes uh, is a big step for him in that Atlanta game. Yeah. I don't think he's playing poorly, but he's just not like for stretches there. It was like, is Holmes the best player on the floor right now? Right. I don't think we've like necessarily found lightning in a bottle, but what the Kings did find was a really, really strong bench big, uh, you know, potentially like a sixth, seventh, at least an eighth type man, like a, a solid, solid rotational big man. Definitely agreed. And um, coming out to start this Atlanta game, Sacramento was hot. I think that uh, they did a good job of moving. We saw the offense continue them to get comfortable a bit there um, in Walton's system. They also hit, seven out of 14 threes in the first half and Atlanta only made two out of 14. So I thought that it was a little bit of one team being hot and the other being off a bit, not to take away from the Kings execution um, because I think they did what they needed to do. And Atlanta came into this game having good defense to start the year, but we know looking at the roster that they're not actually a good defensive team. Um, So I thought that they executed well in the first half, but also shots were falling. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Atlanta scored the first six points, and then I felt like the Kings were struggling just a little bit, just a little bit early on. And then Bielitsa kind of was the combo breaker for this team. He came in, uh, well, he was in, he started, but then he he just he hit two of those <laughs> extremely deep threes <laughs> that Bielitsa is known for hitting. And Professor I don't know, big that, shots. He really, he really was, and he just, I think he just woke that team up, and then, yeah, I mean, considering the 6-0 start for Atlanta, I mean, Sacramento went on a run here. Um, they got up to a 19-point lead, and or yeah, up to 21 at one point, so considering that 6-0 deficit, that's a 27-point uh, swing just in the first half. Right, and I thought that the pace was was decent. It wasn't quite the same as last year. I still don't think we've seen that yet, but I thought that they were doing a good job of running it back on Atlanta. Yeah, I thought so too. I I was really impressed by Darren Fox and his change of speed. It's It seems to me, and tell me if this feels accurate, that he was kind of on overdrive all last season under Jaeger, uh, constantly pushing, constantly running, and now it's it's like hesitations and he'll, he'll slow it down. I mean, he'll get in the lane. If he doesn't see something, he'll slow it down, try to get, um, you know, a foul from someone reaching in or coming over his back. Um, but it's like starting and stopping. That's where and you kind of feel the pace more at times in that way when he slows it down and then he just, you know, accelerate like zero to a hundred. It happens really fast and he's able to turn it on and off this season. I agree. I think we're seeing a lot more of 75% uh, speed from him where it's like, okay, he's still moving quick enough to go past a lot of people, but he still has an extra, 
mode level that he can take it to. Um, and you mentioned kind of people being on his back. I think when he's coming, when he's running pick and rolls, he's getting that a lot where he's getting his defender on his back and sort of being slow and trying to pick apart the defense a little bit more. Uh, We mentioned this with Omer a little bit. I think it's going to be good for him long-term, but at the same time, I think that he's settling for mid range a bit more than I would want this year. I don't have the numbers or his shot chart in front of me right now. Um, But I think that at times, like if you see Alex Len backing up that I think that he could go a little bit harder to the rim, but I, I do like what I'm seeing from him. I agree that. And I think that, you see a lot of 75% pace, like I said, and then he's still able to take it to another level. Right. Going from 75 to 100% from Fox, it looks like another player, you know, going from 10% to 120%. Like, it's, it's an acceleration that's so incredible. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question about, kind of about Fox. This was interesting to me. The game started out, Fox was on reddish. And Heald was on Trey, uh, and that didn't last very long. Not at all. <laughs> Buddy Heald kind of got abused a little bit, and they went away from that fairly quickly. And Dearon defended Trey the majority of the rest of the game. But what did you? Th- can you help me understand what that decision even was there? Not really. Like I was very confused by that. Um, I, I think that clearly Fox should be the one on the guy that is running the entire offense. Trey Young is all the offense for the Atlanta Hawks. We saw him do it great in that third quarter. Um, you know, Walton has really been pushing Heald's defense. Maybe he, he, yes, he, maybe he, he really wanted to give him a been. challenge in a way. See, but, this is where I came down on it too. Like, there's no real reason to do this there's no like current like existing reason to be like healed will give us an advantage on trey compared to fox or the other way around where it's like we want fox on reddish for some reason like no like there's no actual reason to do that it's got to be it's got to be mentality based like you're saying right and i think i mean is it fair to say Fox is better on ball than off, right? Like you, sometimes you see, say guys like Robert Covington, uh, you intentionally put them off ball because they can have more of an impact. I don't think Fox is that guy. Right. I think with Covington, his length and his ability to disrupt passing lanes gives him a little bit something extra there. He can, uh, you know, he, he can jump on a pass and, and cut it off and take it, do a little pick six action with that. Um, yeah, and he certainly is going to dog guys around screens and all that. I, I do think that Fox is a little bit better on ball. But more importantly, Fox is better on ball and off ball than Buddy Heald, which just it just confuses me. And, and you're right. Like, Walton is really, really trying to sell us on Buddy Heald having taking a step forward defensively, and I am absolutely not seeing it. I'm not either, minus, I think I said this before, him fighting through screens a bit better, um, but it was terrible last year, so really taking a uh, slight step in that isn't making Heald a great defender or anything. I think it would be an absolutely amazing development to his game, since he's already is obviously this elite three-point shooter, if he could become a passable defender on the other end, maybe even a positive, but you're right. It's not the case right now. And that didn't last long. It's not like, it's not like they just 
ran that the entire game and were forcing it. No, I think that you're right that this was an attempt to get Buddy Heald engaged because that would be a fair criticism of his game last year. I think that he was off ball a lot and kind of fell asleep at times. So maybe that's you, you get him engaged, you wake him up, you have him, you give him that challenge, like you said, of covering Trey on the first handful of possessions. But yeah, I, it's, it's not going great. I, I think that I do see an improvement in his defensive effort, but I'm not seeing necessarily an improvement in the results of that. Um, Tim Maxwell, friend of the podcast, Sacktown Baby Giraffe on Twitter, you know, he pointed out that Buddy Heald is currently dead last in the entire NBA in defensive field goal percentage. Oof. That is rough. I wouldn't have thought he's dead last. Dead last. So to clarify, of all defenders in the NBA, uh, uh, opposing offensive players are shooting the best percentage against Buddy Heald. That is that is wild. It's especially wild when you hear Walton talking about a defensive step forward that he's taking. But I think that Walton's trying to – I think he's probably speaking more towards the effort, and I think he's trying to talk this into reality, speak it into reality. I, I, I don't know. Um, I could easily see myself eating these words. Like I could – you know, by – the all-star break, I could see Buddy Heald, just because of the engagement being higher, him making some improvement, not like a massive improvement, but I could see him making a, an improvement. And, you know, um, I'm willing to, because, because the first five possessions of a game aren't going to determine how that game is, is, you know, how that, if it's a win or a loss, I, I think I'm okay with it. I, I was just confused, and it's something worth noting early on in the game. It definitely is. And there also is something to, like you said, speaking it into existence and also giving your players the confidence that they are uh, capable on that end. Or Walton is saying that Buddy Heald has been a good defender at times. And if if Buddy can feel that way, then, you know, maybe he shows a little bit more effort and want to to be positive on that end. I know Jason Anderson was posting a video today that Buddy Heald and Luke Walton were sitting at practice watching film just them two for for about 15 minutes like Luke is obviously taking taking time to uh to praise things with Buddy and this could be a positive progression and like you said it, it doesn't hurt anything to start the game and also I think that Buddy is clearly out of that shooting slump that he was in at the very beginning of the year we knew that that wouldn't stick around yeah um <laughs> I don't think he's back to elite level quite right. yet but I think he's not you know, not hitting a three or hitting one the entire game. What are you, what are you seeing in, is there anything specific that you're seeing in his, his shooting from last year to this year in terms of his production? Well, I think that not getting the transition attempts is hurting him because I think that often, you know, obviously he has a very high level of conditioning and is able to keep up with Fox and that got him a good amount of open looks. Um, so aside from that, not too much. I, I think that they're asking him to create a little bit more than last year, which might make him a bit uncomfortable at times. But I think there were times at start that it just wasn't falling. Here's something that I noticed, and it's a little bit troubling, but it also could be encouraging in another way. Um, off the catch, 
which meaning zero dribbles on on shots where Buddy Hield took zero dribbles, uh, he shot fifty point six percent last season. It's a really really nice number. And this season, Buddy is shooting thirty one point seven percent on zero dribble shots. Right, and I think, like I said, I think some of them just simply weren't falling. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, does that, in a weird way, I mean, that's a rough stat, but in a weird way, is that kind of encouraging because we know that's not going to stay at 31.7? Yes, but also I know that you had mentioned it. Um, There's a chance he doesn't get back up to that, what was it, 43% last year? Like, that is an absurd number. It's a really high number. Um, Yeah, and I think that we do see Buddy going to the dribble drive a little bit more or just you know, putting the ball on the floor to to create a step back or to create some space and shoot it from three, even if he's not driving. Um, it's interesting because the volume on catch and shoots are the same from year to year, but then the volume on, uh, you know, overall shots is increasing this season, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, um, I mean, we see it. I feel like we can't go a game with watching Buddy Heel, without watching Buddy Heel dribble the ball off his own foot. That's fair. I definitely feel like that happens. So I don't know. I mean, wow. You know what? I'm just double checking here. It's his, his volume on zero dribbles, one dribble, you know, two dribble, three dribble. All these are are almost identical from last year to this year. So it's not so much that he's relying on ISO. I think maybe the ISO is just not looking as nice or, or maybe he's taking it a little bit more desperately. I, I don't know. I, I think he's kind of forcing it. Um, and that's I, to be expected, I guess, if your catch and shoots aren't falling. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Another guy that has been guilty of that plenty of times this year, probably the most on this team is, is bogey. And I think that he had a, a very solid game, especially in the fourth quarter, but I guess we should touch on the third first where it was another one of these Sacramento third quarters that we had the last couple games. And I was so scared. It was really something else to watch this third quarter again. Do you have any theories on the third quarter thing? Because, uh, I mean, Lance Woods, I guess, had a good one, which was just uh, they aren't playing good basketball. But, I mean, like, truly, is there any – what reasons can you divine from this poor performance in pretty much every third quarter? I feel like it has to be mental. Like, I don't know what else it would be, you know. Like, when it, slow, when it starts to go downhill in the third quarter, they think the same thing as the fans. Oh, not this again. And then are sort of letting it happen more so in a way. Um, I don't know. That's the only thing I can come up with because 
it's ridiculous. Trey Young had 16 points and four assists in the third quarter alone. He started picking apart Sacramento like crazy. And also, I will say, like, Atlanta did just kind of start to hit their shots after they weren't. But it definitely was another rough look for Sacramento. I've got a theory. Um, and it's baseless, as all my theories are. But tell me if this makes any sense to you. I, I think that Luke Walton is really playing it fast and loose in terms of the scheme that he's implementing. I think that it's we, – we talked about it with Omer a lot, where Dave Yeager was a lot more strict about what he wanted to see. He was calling plays – very frequently and it seems to be Luke Walton's approach to let the game kind of come to his guys and let them do a lot of uh, improvisation and kind of have Fox read and react um, go to a pick and roll you know create some action on the weak side do something you know try to get open shots but it not be necessarily something set and I think that he's leaning on his guys to kind of make the right decisions for themselves if that makes sense rather than having a a a really tight structure for them I don't see that okay so maybe in the third quarter what that means is that the Kings are out there you know it's not that they're not being coached it's not that they don't have philosophies it's it's that Walton's coaching style is very is very broad in general, and he's emphasizing certain uh, philosophies and certain general rules of thumb. You know, we don't want to we don't want to over push. I don't know exactly what it is, but I mean, like you know, he I think he has concepts where he's like, all right, you know, in the half court set, I want to see pick and roll. I want to see spread pick and roll. I want to see guys moving off the ball like I, I you know and I'm you know he has his design plays out of timeouts that sort of thing but I think that they're more concepts that Luke is putting forward and he's asking his guys to find holes in the defense take what's given to them whereas maybe opposing coaches see what the Kings are doing and they have a very specific structured plan of attack for the second half and the Kings kind of get caught off guard and have to readjust, see what's changed in the in their opponent's approach, and then readjust to that, which can take a little bit of time. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch for how the other teams are defending differently in that second half. I, I do agree with what you're saying about it. a lot of uh, Walton's offense is reliant on the players. It's fairly simple, um, but can be effective there. And I feel like the Kings do settle at times during that third quarter. I think that we end up seeing a lot of a lot of mid-range attempts from them. Um, Fox tends to get guilty of that a bit at times. Buddy Heald also. Um, they also Corey were, Joseph is definitely pretty guilty of that. And actually, in the first half, I thought that the Kings got very lucky with some of those Joseph mid-ranges. He was he was hitting a lot of those. Um, yeah, those shots do not look good when they're not falling. No, and but at times like. I almost don't blame Joseph because he seems like he's taking them late in the shot clock, like when they need him to. Um, can we can we break into the mailbag for this week and and use that to help us inform our analysis of this game and and going forward? Because I know we've 
We've touched on Joseph now. We're about to get into Bogey. I know those are there's a couple questions in there about those guys. Uh, does that work for you? Yeah, you know, really quickly, I want to credit Walton for closing this game with with Ariza and Bogey and the entire bench in for that entire fourth quarter. Fox only played three minutes in the fourth quarter, but he didn't play a single minute. Bogey and Ariza had 23 of the 30 points in that fourth quarter. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a question there about lineups, uh, about uh, rotations, which is, I think, worthwhile talking about um, specifically with regards to this fourth quarter. But no, you're absolutely right. And I'll, I'll say the last, you know, I mentioned it's hard to go a game without seeing Buddy dribble the ball off his foot. Um, that was the last play that he had in this game. Um, late in the third quarter, he got the ball uh, from uh, uh, Corey Joseph. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, just tried to kind of <laughs> ISO Kevin uh, Herter and, and just just yeah. lost it. And, Buddy, and uh, Walton pulled him. He did for big shots, Dr. Yeah. B- uh, Professor Big Shots, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, you're right. The, this question here was, uh, do you guys think – and this is from Tyler DLMG14 on Reddit. Uh, we mentioned it before. We're the official podcast of the Kings subreddit. We have a thread sticky to the top of that Reddit at all times. Once a week, we'll be going through with a little Q&A like you'll hear us doing in this episode. So any questions you have, you can always put there for us that we'll dive into. Um, and this one is, do you guys think Walton should stagger Buddy and Fox more? It seems to me we spend too much time with both of them not on the floor, and it's affecting our team's performance. And this game kind of went against that. Yeah, this game kind of went against a lot of the questions in our mailbag, which is interesting. Um, because I think that shows us that this Atlanta game was a departure from a lot of what we've seen with the Kings so far. Hmm. Is there a way to, to rewind your mind a little bit here and think about before this game, would you at that time have liked to see Fox and Buddy staggered? I would have. Um, because I felt like Bogey needed another creator next to him. But then a part of me also felt like with Barnes being in that second unit a lot, that he was able to do that because Barnes gets to the rim uh I think up there with Fox in regards to these wings players like bogey and buddy do not do that. And you need players that are able to get to the rim. So part of me felt like bogey was just doing a bit too much, but I did also, I I was pushing for one of a, a more of a stagger between the two number one guys in Fox and buddy. And how has your take on that changed? If at all, after the Atlanta game, I think that, you can run that bench unit um, with Barnes in there as well as the one starter, but Bogey needs to like Bogey was doing too much before he felt like, or it seemed like he was trying to do everything like almost as if he had looked around and said, okay, I need to be the guy on here. When I think Corey Joseph is a smart player with the ball in his hands, he can create for others. I mentioned uh, Harrison Barnes as well, who's been one of the better players for the Kings this year. So him just being more in the flow of the offense rather than just a pick and roll and feeling like he has to make something happen himself, um, that that can happen with the bench guys rather than needing one of Fox or Buddy. Yeah, I don't want to see a stagger for a couple of reasons. One, I think that Buddy is 
pretty close to custom built for a backcourt partner with De'Aaron Fox. Um, I mean, having a guy, even though he's not hitting his shots right now, well, you know, even though he's generally this season, Buddy has struggled hitting his shots. Despite that, it still feels like he's a pretty elite shooter, if not still super elite. And that is going to help out De'Aaron Fox so much. I don't even know the step down to Bogdanovich in terms of just shooting, if that's the, the swap that would be made there uh, at the shooting guard position. It feels significant. And I think that Buddy is a much better off-ball player. So I think when you've got your best uh, initiator in the game, you want to give him your best off-ball catch-and-shoot guy. So I don't, I don't see any problem with Buddy and Fox being on the court together. And then secondly, the bench unit with Joseph and Bogdanovich, that works really, really well for me. Asterisk. <laughs> the asterisk is that when Joseph is handling the ball first. And we saw that a ton. We saw it a little bit way back against the Trailblazers in game two. Hopefully we'll see that against the Trailblazers again on Tuesday. But we saw that a, a an absolute ton on Friday night. Right. And Bogey's uh, really hot closing to that game. He was five of six from three in the entire game. Four of those five threes, he had one combined dribble and really were him catching and shooting like like we pushed that he did in the um, Toronto game before that. Uh, he had a nice stretch of that as well. And a lot of it was, like you mentioned, Joseph um, running the offense there at the end of the game. And just a, a few numbers. There's only been 34 minutes of um, of Buddy on the floor and Fox off. I, I don't expect to see that change much. And then in regards to Bogdanovich's stats, um, it's really the the defense of the entire team that takes a hit when when Buddy and Bogey share the floor. Um, obviously, that makes sense. You know, Buddy and Bogey are two of the not great defenders on this team, even though we uh, kind of touched on Buddy's defense at the start of this game. But all three of Fox, Heald, and Bogdanovich on the floor, um, 120 defensive rating. Uh, just Bogey on the floor, no Fox or Buddy, 99 defensive rating. Um, and that's obviously Bogey running with the rest of the bench unit there. But yeah, the defense with Bogey and Fox is understandably a worry. Yeah. Um, who's a better defender between Buddy and Bogey? I don't know. Like, are you really getting more positive an impact from either one? I guess, Buddy. I feel, oh, see, I was going to say, I, I was trying to say, yeah, was, I feel pretty strongly that Bogey's the better defender. Really? Okay. Yeah. What makes but you that's, from Bogey? I mean, that's in a vacuum because. I think we see a disadvantage to Bogey because he's asked to guard threes a lot when he's um, with Buddy and Fox at times. So I, I just, I think that, I mean, we've, well, I mean, the stat alone on, on Buddy having the worst defensive field goal percentage in the league right, uh, gives you something there, but I've been impressed with Bogey's defense. I think he's, he's given a lot of really tough matchups. Sometimes he's asked to guard opposing point guards. Sometimes he's asked to guard opposing, threes but if you just kind of swapped him out for buddy in the starting lineup 
I feel like he would do better than Buddy just against the standard shooting guard assignment. That I know it's like a weak argument, but that's I just got to go eye test there. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think it'd be fairly close. And I think part of Buddy's having that low um, percentage is the Kings have played some some decent shooting guards that he's had to guard as well. Um, yeah, it feels it feels somewhat close to me. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse, and we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it, and, and thank you very much for listening. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So another question we got in here is from... This is from Dat J Boy on Reddit. Why is Corey Joseph not playing? Uh, he's averaging 17 minutes this year after averaging at least 25 in his last four seasons. And as we kind of touched on with not separating Fox and Buddy, um, that's what's going on with Joseph. You're not going to play Fox, Buddy, and Corey Joseph. Um, there has only been 26 minutes of Fox and Joseph playing together, which I think you could go to potentially a little bit more than we've seen at times. We mentioned like against Portland, which is the next game of the season that maybe you could close a few minutes that way, but really he's just playing all the minutes that Fox isn't at point guard. Yeah, we had, you know, we did some pretty extensive minute projections for this team and you and I and Tim all had him around 15 to 18 minutes. So to us, it, this is what we expected. Um, I can definitely see wondering why he's not playing more, but I, I think looking at the roster kind of explains it. I will make an interesting note here. There was a really odd lineup on the floor for quite some time in the third quarter um, of this Hawks game. It was Fox, Joseph, Bogdanovich, uh, Giles, Barnes, and Giles. It it was a weird look, uh, but that's all three ball handlers on the court. It is, and um, I like playing with things occasionally from Luke. I, I think that because this is a very deep team, that you have a little bit of flexibility of doing that. Yeah, I think that this I think this kind of speaks to what we know or what we think we know about Luke Walden's approach. I think a lot of his lineups are just like freestyle jazz. 
I think a lot of what he's doing is freestyle. I think that he's kind of just throwing throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. I think it, you know, actually, you know, across that that lineup they played, I think four or five minutes together, they they were up, they were plus three. So I mean, that's totally fine. I mean, it kind of worked. It was interesting. I think that the Hawks had some subs in and it wasn't like an amazing lineup from the Hawks necessarily, but yeah, I, I think this kind of plays into my theory on the third quarter, which is kind of like Walton's just kind of going to do different stuff all the time. And he's going to ask his players to figure it out. Um, and there's probably, you know, it's not that he doesn't have points of emphasis going into halftime, but um, I think that opposing teams probably have more specific ones and they're, really looking to exploit certain things and maybe, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that Corey Joseph, going back to the question, I can't really see him getting more minutes than he is necessarily. Um, but I also don't see him like falling out of the rotation beyond, beyond where he's at now. No. And since the, since the, the bench really closed the end of that last game, Corey Joseph did end up with 29 minutes. I would guess that's the most he's seen this year, maybe outside of, a blowout um but even then um so yeah i think that at times you know you could see him in very final possessions of the game if if it's very back and forth and in the last you know minute or so teams are calling timeouts each time that they get the ball that if you're on the defensive end then you you're pulling buddy healed potentially and you would have Corey joseph there like i think he can be very useful to close games. He is a great defender. I love the effort that you get from him. And we mentioned him being the playmaker in the second unit rather than Bogdanovich. But yeah, he's he's getting the minutes that Fox isn't. And I think, like you said, that's kind of what we expected. And I've liked what I've seen from him so far, but that's just kind of what his role was brought in to be. And, and if that's upsetting to people because he um, is paid a decent amount, I think that's part of him getting a bigger pay. Um, was that it was known that he has a little bit of a smaller role here than where he could have gotten elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think you should be surprised that Corey Joseph is a backup point guard. Um, That's what he's been his entire career. Uh, He's been a very good backup point guard, but he's been a backup point guard. Um, You know, you're going to get a little bit less minutes when you're backing up Darren Fox versus backing up the now retired Darren Collison in Indiana. But yeah, I mean, that's, I, you know, let's see here. Like looking back on his last six seasons, he's between, you know, 17 to 27 minutes. 27 was high there. He had to do some spot starts, but you know, yeah, a 25 minute guy who's now gone to a team that has a really clear cut bet. Their clear cut best player is their point guard. So you're going to see a minutes reduction. And I think you're absolutely right. I think he was paid to, be a little bit more of a, uh, a a de-emphasized role and a more of a veteran role. And I think that he does that. I really like how he is very vocal. And I think that he – I feel pretty secure with the ball in his hands later in games. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's not a great shooter, never been a great shooter. So there's some issues there. But I think being paired with Bogdanovich works really well because if he gets in a tough spot, he can give it to Bogdanovich and they can kind of reset. 
Yeah. And interestingly, he's had three seasons throughout his career of being 35% or higher from deep. Um, so he's just a little spotty, you know, it's more likely that he'll be around that 32 range. Uh, yeah. Like you're saying, not the most reliable shooter. And then a way that we can kind of move into this, this last question that we have from the Reddit Q and a that we kind of touched on it, um, This one's from Arco thunder. It's is bogey just in a funk that he'll play out of, or does something need to change with how he's being used? We kind of already touched this a little bit. Um, maybe we can just reemphasize. Do you feel like um, the second unit needs to change it all for bogey to be successful? Like we saw in that Hawks game. I think that we got to this round of questions a game too late. So I, I feel like almost all these questions were answered by this Atlanta game. Um, Bogey got himself out of his funk. It, I mean, he was in takeover mode in the fourth quarter. It was really, really an impressive display. Um, and yeah, I think that the reason for that is what you and I and Omer, Omer Khan landed on in our last episode that Joseph should be running, should be initiating that unit. And Bogey is there as a secondary initiator, but mostly he's going to be playing off ball more. And like you've mentioned, when he's off ball, he's catching and shooting or taking one dribble and looking really crisp. Yeah, I agree. And that is, um, that's all we got from this Reddit Q and a, um, you have any other notes on that Atlanta game? I feel bad for cutting the analysis short, um, about the the bench finishing out that game you wanted to give some extra props to Walton for sticking with the bench the majority of the bench Holmes was in there for a lot of the time Barnes was in there for a lot of the time but yeah I think like when we're talking about the bench in this scenario it was Joseph Bogdanovich and Ariza and yeah I'm I'm pretty good with that. Ariza, I'm not – I don't even know if we're talking so much about Ariza. He had some nice – he hit some nice shots, some important shots. But this to me felt like when we say Walton stuck with his bench, he stuck with Joseph and Bogey over Fox and Buddy. Right. And I will say I, I do think that Ariza was really impactful this game outside of just hitting shots. I thought he had a very timely steal. And, and the shots that he did hit were just – to stop runs from Atlanta. So I thought he, he happened to make them at the right time. And I, I thought that his, his defensive effort was promising in this one, but yeah, it was mainly that, you know, the bench didn't get the lead just for the starters to come back in. I, I thought that it was good for Walton to keep rolling with the guys that got them that lead in the first place and ended up securing that win. Yeah. I think we're going to see, a lot of stuff develop and change and evolve like this Walton led Kings team of 2019-20 is super fluid right now. Like this, I think, I mean like the lineup we talked about earlier with the three ball handlers on the floor, sticking with the guards late in the game, you know, how Harry Giles will be worked back in. We've seen Holmes start take over Deadman, uh, Deadman's role. We're going to see Bagley worked back in when he's healthy. Like there is going to be so little consistency with rotations through the first probably half of this season. I don't even know if we'll have a really strong understanding of what the rotations are by the all-star break. 
Yeah, I would agree. And and kind of with Bagley coming back too, there's going to be some more change here. Um, but it'll be interesting to keep a note on. I know that there was a lot of um, question marks when he was the Lakers coach of taking guys out when they were having an impact. Um, and a lot of this I was seeing from fans and a bit of analysis rather than watching a lot of Laker games myself. But that that wasn't the case in that Atlanta game. And, and I like what I've seen from that. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I got on that one. Are you cool to move to a little bit of Stockton? They had their first two games. Yeah, please. I have not been able to catch the first couple Stockton games. I saw one excellent uh, little highlight pass from Kyle Guy oh, to Dequan Jeffries. But yeah, please, you have watched these first two games, and uh, I would like to know. Give me some. Give me some of your biggest takeaways here. Uh, Kyle Guy is the definition of a green light, as he should be. Um, Hell yeah! So. so 10 attempts in the first game, right? Four of 10. Take a guess at how many attempts he had in game two from three. Oh, wait, he had 10 attempts from three in the first game? In the first game, yeah, just from three. (laughs) You're asking me just to take a guess? Yeah, of the second game. I mean, okay, so Buddy Heald had 16 attempts the other day from three, so I guess I'll say 16. Yeah, 17 attempts in game two for Kyle Guy. He hit six of them. And I think that three of them came in the last two minutes or so. Um, but, man, obviously this guy can shoot the ball. You know, we, we knew that. Um, but him being able to do it um, off motion, coming off pins down, he squares his shoulders up really quickly. I wrote an entire piece on it, actually, with a bunch of film breakdown. Um, so if anyone's interested in that, you can check that out at Royal Pain. Um, but... He also showed a couple instances of catching high at his shoulder level and never even bringing it down, just a quick flick of the wrist. Um, He was impressive with his left hand. I thought that he did a good job. He had a nice floater with his left. He seemed comfortable somewhat dribbling uh, with the left and the right, obviously. I do question that you know, uh, against a real NBA defender if he would have that same comfort level. Um, but the passing looked decent. He had, uh, he did have 22 points in game one and in game two, he ended with 25, but he is playing a ridiculous amount of minutes, 34 minutes, game one and 42 minutes in game two. Game two was actually a close game. He ended up missing a game winning three point attempt that hit the back of the rim and bounced out. Game one was a blowout, which is why he didn't play as much, which is still, 34 minutes, but he's obviously well-conditioned, can keep up um, the the high level of shooting even through these high minutes. But he's obviously, you know, he's here to be a shooter. And on defense, I thought that he was getting cooked a little bit. Uh, laterally, he does not move very well. He has very short movements. Uh, he, he does not have a wide and quick lateral movement. He gets blown past pretty quickly. He had a couple fouls because of that, because he was late to position. Um, but those are pretty much what I saw from Kyle Guy. Um, Daquan Dr- Jeffries, the other two-way player, had less of an impact. Um, I think that it's more so he wasn't making mistakes that you see players make fairly often in Stockton. You know, he was brought in to be a three and D guy and he has been 
okay from three. It's only two of six. You know, it's only been two games for all of this. Um, so Jeffries, I still need to see a little bit more. Cody Demps is aggressive. I know you had an opportunity to talk to Cody Demps. I was surprised with how often he was able to get to the rim and is a really good finisher there as well. Yeah, that's interesting. So firstly, let me say that I'm thrilled to hear that Kyle guy is getting an insane number of minutes in usage because that's exactly why you have a G league team. Like that's exactly it. You draft a Kyle guy and you get this man reps. And I love that. Um, can I ask about Daquan Jeffries about his defense specifically? Because I know we say three and D, but a guy with a seven foot wingspan, I'm thinking more about the D is he showing, uh, especially in the G league, you've got to be able to stand out. Like if you're not standing out, you're failing in terms of what the NBA is going to need from you. Have you seen that from, from Jeffries on defense? There was not the standout to me in the first two games. Um, I also thought that he was stuck guarding the guy in the corner a lot. Um, and guy was getting attacked because of that lack of lateral movement that I kind of mentioned, but he didn't stand out to me. Like I, I, this was my first time seeing Jeffries. I, I at times had to remind me which player he was because he, he was not standing out to me in the way that I hoped only two games. He wasn't guarding the best player. Um, he was playing the power forward for this team, uh, but yeah, no standout really. That's another note for G League. The generally the lineups are a lot smaller. Like Wengen Gabriel played center pretty much his entire right. time in uh, Stockton last season. But yeah, that's interesting. The Demps comment is interesting. You're saying that he's he's finishing well, which is encouraging. Um, hmm. Demps is. I wonder if he is is kind of fighting for a spot, you know, to be relevant. And the, obviously all these guys want to be in the NBA, but Dem's got that 10-day contract with the Kings last year. Didn't end up playing. He is getting a, like a little bit old for a prospect in the G League. Um, not truly. I believe he's only 25 right now, but – I wonder if some of the aggression could be, yeah, he's 25 right now, turning 26 in a couple weeks. I wonder if some of that aggression is to get back to being noticed, to being a big part of this G League team, because there are a lot of new additions to the team. And um, I think it could be pretty understandable if the Kings start looking at some of their other younger prospects. But, you know, Demps has been known his whole career, especially in college, I mean, his college career, especially as a team player, like he was not a high usage guy. So that's interesting. Is his usage going up? You think? Um, I'm not all too aware of him previously, but I don't feel like he was, he was very ball dominant or anything. I, I think that guy um, definitely played more with the ball than he did. I just thought that um, Demps was very successful in blowing past guys and showed off a little bit of finishing with both hands. Who are some of the other guys down there? What's their like? What's their starting lineup been like? I haven't. I, I apologize for not digging into this. I should be digging into it more. But uh, yeah, I missed so the first couple of games. The other guy that um, that people be familiar with is Eric Mika, right? Um, who played center for the uh, the summer league team as well, and he is a 
beast on the, the uh, on the boards. Sixteen, fella. yeah, sixteen rebounds in game one, twenty four in game two. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, ten offensive rebounds. Wow. Okay. Um, but a complete lid on the basket. Like he had a couple offensive rebounds that he was wide open and could not finish it. Um, this is my first impression of Mika. So to me, it seems like he has bad touch, um, but need to see a little bit more. It's only been two games, but for the life of him could not get anything around the basket to go in. Um, I would assume it's not actually that bad, but yeah, a beast on the boards and he runs like crazy, you know, 40 minutes for him in game two, uh, he really is the the backup or the the center of this team. He's he's really the the one that they have. Um, they were running eight nine man rotations. You know there was Isaiah Isaiah Panero out there at times as well. It looked like he was he was forcing things a bit. Um, a couple other names. Isaiah Wright is the starting point guard. So to go through that starting lineup for you, Isaiah Wright starting point guard, Kyle Guy. At the two, Cody Demps playing the three, Daquan Jeffries at the four, and Eric Mika playing the five. And then, yeah, I mentioned Panero off the bench, Gabe Vincent, Marcus Graves, um, and don't know how to pronounce this one, Randy on Wusor. But uh, I don't know what the case is with Tyler Ulis and Hollis Thompson, but they were not active in the two games. I do look forward to seeing how they uh, handle themselves too, especially Hollis Thompson. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Nate Miller, one of our uh, resident draft guys, really, really, really high in Hollis Thompson. Yeah, the Kings uh, traded for him. The stock yeah, him. they did. And they spent a first-round pick on Marcus Graves, the first-round G League pick on Marcus Graves. And I think that's super cool because Demps and Graves play together on Sac State, uh, their men's basketball team, which is uh, pretty rad. I'm uh, – Certainly getting uh, pretty deep in Hornets basketball as we speak. But, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited about this team. I think that G-League basketball is, like, really, really, really fun to watch. So we'll have to try to get down there at some point this season. Agreed. And, you know, I'll throw one thing for your way. So they have this new rule. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, God. Is this the free throws? Yeah. One free throw yeah. counts for all the points. That, can you explain it specifically? Yeah, so – it's pretty much you get one free throw attempt aside from the last two minutes of the game. If you're fouled um, on a two point attempt, you get one free throw that is worth two points. Um, Wait, this is only the last two minutes of the game? No, aside from the last two minutes of the game. Oh, okay. Sorry. I was going to say they did no, that no, no, no. wrong. No, yeah, that'd be terrible. No, so aside <laughs> from the last two minutes, um, if, if you are fouled, whatever amount that you are fouled, if you're fouled from a three point attempt then one free throw is worth three points um there was an instance in one of those games where someone missed a free throw worth three points um boy i hate the sound of that honestly i did too and i do also it makes the game a lot faster i heard um that they're trying to get these g league games within two hours i think they ran for about two and a half um a little a little less than that but they're really trying to speed up the game. And it definitely successfully did that. You know, free throws take a long time to get through. But I feel like this, this hurts good free throw shooters. I was going to say, it also hurts the ability to kind of scout free throw shooters. Like, not that free throw shooting is super important to scout, but you want to have a representative sample. And you also can generally 
get a lot out of a player's free throw, free throw, uh, free throw shooting ability to extrapolate out their general shooting and touch. So, right. like, you know, generally good three-point shooters have a decent free throw shooting percentage. So it's weird if, like, you know, if Cody Demps attempts 10 free throws in a season, it's like, or in half a season, how are the Kings going to look at that and be like, well, is he shooting well from uh, right. the charity stripe or not? Even, even looking at the stats, I was like, man, I feel like this guy's been living at the free throw line. I'm like, oh, he only has eight attempts. I'm like, oh, wait, that's like 16 points. It's, oh, it definitely man. has taken some getting used to. I'll have to tune in and, and get before I get my final verdict. But I, I feel like personally I'd rather have the G League be as close to a replication of the NBA and so that like you can translate what you see but well this is where they tested the the coach's challenge right and and interestingly it was bullshit. to me i hate the coach's right, challenge and interesting to me they're doing this free throw thing to speed up the game and the coach's challenge slows everything they need to get rid of that coach's challenge right now i'm sick of it yeah uh, it, it's it's interesting and like I, I was hearing so many people say you couldn't use the coach's challenge in the last two minutes but you can it's just people were saying that because you know in the last two minutes refs are required to view like to review out of bounds plays automatically so you can still use it on fouls in the final two minutes yeah okay i mean but i just don't like i just that's kind of weird to me because you can use a a challenge to give a little bit of a breather to someone too i don't know i i don't I mean, I, I understand if, if you're the MLB and your sport is failing, like <laughs> change it up. But I feel like we got a pretty good product in the NBA. Right. Yeah, it, it's interesting. But um, yeah, that's, that's all I got on Stockton, man. It's, it, it was enjoyable to watch some of those games. Definitely going to keep an eye on those and uh, do some fun little video breakdowns. I'll put out some of Kyle Guy's nice three-point attempts and passing two after this. I'll put them up on Twitter um, that are also in that article I wrote. But I think that's enough for this for this episode, man. Yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling pretty optimistic about the Kings' chances against the uh, Trailblazers on Tuesday. Um, you know, I, I mean – they're playing a lot better. The Kings are the first three uh, free, excuse me, getting a little bit late here, but the Kings, the first three games for the Kings, that version of this team seems to be very much in the rear view window. So we'll see how much really has changed uh, on Tuesday night when they get to face the trailblazers again. And you know what? We'll close with this very last Reddit question. This is Eric, 32. Based on what we saw in the past games, do you think this team can make the playoffs? Oh, I'm still going to say no. And it's mostly a reflection of the West. I I know that's a cop-out. But, yeah, I I don't see this team finishing above 500, quite frankly. And you definitely can't get into the West – with a with a 500 record or worse like sorry this isn't the east sorry you're not the Orlando Magic get it together <laughs> right yeah I'm the same way I'm definitely betting that they don't um, it'll be interesting to play this Portland team though they're they're a team that's really struggling they're three and six um, I don't know if that includes today's game that they just beat the Atlanta Hawks in overtime 
But um, yeah, still leaning no here. But that is going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Thank you to everybody for listening. And you will hear from us again in the next couple of days.